You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Derek Gaunt is the author of Ego Authority Failure, an lecturer and trainer with 29 years of law enforcement experience. And Derek ultimately became commander of hostage negotiations teams in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. He is a negotiation trainer and personal coach now at Black Swan Group. In today's episode, Derek and Ron discuss how critical a curious mindset is for effective negotiation. Derek shares a tactic that works every time to get people to divulge more insights and context during a negotiation. And Ron opens up about one of his big challenges when situations get heated, which Derek then coaches him on in real time. Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and I'm absolutely excited to have Derek Gaunt join us today from the Black Swan Group. Derek, welcome. Thank you, Ron. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you, Derek. And, and it's funny, I literally gave your book or the, your company book, The Chris Voss Never Split the Difference, which mm-hmm. is really a representation of, of the Black Swan Group Correct. And, and strategies around it. I gave this book to a friend of mine, a, a guy named Arnold Smith, who's doing some, some training for me. And he said, you know, what's, give me a business book. What, what do you suggest? And I said, I looked at my bookshelf and the yellow was just staring at me. I said, this is the one, take this one. This is, I wish I had read this earlier, you know, mm. it, it was fabulous. And a few funny comments. Um, one, uh, you know, I, I, I took the same four day Harvard course, um, that Chris Voss took, you know, and he really, I love the, the marriage of real live FBI negotiations and tactics from academia, academia, right? And he really married both and challenged uh, some of that stuff too. I thought that was very interesting. So that was neat. <clears throat> but a funny story I want to start off with, which is I was reading the book and we were, my wife and I were on a flight back from wherever, and, and we were missing a connecting flight. We were coming back from Mexico, and, and we were trying to get a connector through a, a, an airline called WestJet in Toronto. And our bags had gone through, but they told us we couldn't, because we were just too late, and there was a small delay, we couldn't get to the next flight. And I'm literally thinking of Chris Voss's strategy on how to get her to say yes. But because I'm dyslexic, I somehow confused it, and I thought I was doing this right. And so my wife's there and I got the book down. I peeked at the book and I put it down and said, honey, honey, I got this just back away, back away. So I looked the girl in the eye and I said, so you're telling me that there's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do for us to get on that flight. Absolutely nothing. And she goes, no, nothing. And I was like, oh shit, what, maybe I misread this. <laughs> I, I, I got stumped. I just got it backwards. I just not did. I did not follow the strategy. My wife laughs at that. She says, you don't, you, you don't know how to apply anything you read. You, you really don't. You get it all backwards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but look, I want to say I love the book. I love the work you guys do. And I'm excited to get into a discussion around how do we build a culture of, of negotiation? Because it's, it's, it's got to be a skill that corporations, in most cases, leave for the C-suite. Or what, what are you seeing as far as your customers? Are they C-suite or are you going right down to frontline leaders? What are you guys seeing? What we're seeing most is the C-suite sees the value right. and they push it down to mid-management and say, get this for our people. The problem with that is that it's not systemic at that point because the right. C-suite is uneducated. And so when they hear 
how you're engaging in the conversation, it's going to sound foreign to them. And they're going to say, that sounds like nothing I've ever been taught. Don't do that anymore. And they wind up wasting a lot of money, wasting a, a lot of time. So in order for it to become a part of the culture, it's got to be top down. It, it can't be piecemeal here and there. Everybody has to have at least a basic understanding as to how the conversation needs to be constructed and the mindset that you need to have going in. If well, you can't change culturally the mindset, it's all for naught. And it's funny because when you say mindset, um, you know, I think I've got a I've got a company called Vita Living, and we do affordable workforce housing mm -hmm. across Canada. And I think of one. So we have frontline leaders, which are would be like our superintendent, resident manager. We call them building ambassadors. And one of our our blind spots is we need to encourage them and train them to be better negotiators because they're dealing with suppliers. They're, they're negotiating with tenants. I mean, like you guys say, every conversation's a negotiation, whether it's with your children, your neighbor, we take for granted how many times we negotiate in a day, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems to be a key skill that that is lacking from a training side. And what I was going to say is, you know, I think from a process perspective, you know, companies like us and others would say, oh, Derek, you know, you're going to get a price to, to, um, to, to, to replace the boiler, replace a window, go get three prices. But that is not a negotiation. That is just a process. That's, 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 the, uh, that's a process. And they're trying to determine who they want to go with. And they're basing it on the price that they're given. But the reality is, if you are one of the three that they're considering, you need to find out why you are in the running to begin with. And, and when you're one of three who are competing for a bid, the propensity is I got to come in lower than the other guys or I'm not going to get this. When you're the mindset shift should be, why am I in the room to begin with? Well, and I understand that, but Derek, I'm talking about the other side. I'm saying if, you know, I'm thinking the negotiation from I'm the decision maker and I, I'm looking at three prices now, mm. right? So I've had three people bid and say Windows 1000, Windows 1200, Windows 1100. So I think we're, we, and I say me, are dropping the ball by saying our, our training is get three prices and go with the lowest versus negotiate. We're not, I'm not training our folks to negotiate. Yeah, you're so as the boss, as as the decision maker, um, we 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 have an addiction to low bids. Right. That's just what drives us. And you really want to you really want to look at all of those in the bid process um, at a at a thousand foot level as opposed to a thirty thousand foot level to see what kind of value they're going to be able to provide you. And that's going to require you to ask certain questions in specific manners to elicit those specific responses that you're looking for. But you're absolutely right. Asking for three bids is, is not a, a negotiation at all. But the flip side of that coin is it should be viewed as such because you need something. And whenever yes. I want or I need is in your head or in the head of the person that you're dealing with, that is, in fact, a negotiation, regardless of what's at play, what's in play. You talked about question, Derek. So, so, so let's pretend I'm a frontline leader. I'm, I'm a superintendent in one of my buildings, and I've got three prices coming at me. What, what are some of these easy questions from a guidance perspective that I should be asking? Uh, is it, hey, thanks for your quote, Derek. How did you get to this price? What is your, you know, what are some of the questions I should be asking? So first of all, get away from asking direct questions. 
get away from that. A full third of the population hates to be asked direct questions. And can you clarify direct questions so for everyone knows what that means? How did you come up with this price is a direct question. And indirect is? Putting it in a label form. It looks like it seems like it sounds like it looks it seems like you took this number under a lot of deliberation before you came to it. Would it be a bad idea if you walked me through how you did it? Mm, interesting. Notice that there's no the only the only thing that indicated it was a question was the second half of it. That that's what what we call a no oriented question where you're driving for a no with the ultimate result being a yes. Mm hmm. We're trying to get the people to say no to us because that makes them feel comfortable, but the ultimate result or the, the product is going to be a yes. So I, 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 I phrased that specifically. It seems, there's the label, like you took this number under a lot of deliberation before you came up with it. And then the no oriented question, would it be a bad idea if you walked me through how you did it? Okay. Of course, so their response is going to be no. Oh, really? I was going to say, I, I was, I was going to say, you know, if we were role playing, I'd say, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the, it's 1200. It's uh, the materials, a thousand. You, you may, you may, you may get a yes. You yeah. may get a yes out of that, but you've mm -hmm. given them the choice to choose between yeah. one or the other. We're so yes addicted and yes battered that when you start driving people for a yes, you start chipping away at their autonomy. Yes is commitment always. No is protection. That's interesting. And so, so walk me through, let's role play a little bit. So, so I, so let's just say, I say, no, look, I'm it, our policy. Derek, isn't to show you how our pricing, it's a flat price and that's what it is. It sounds like I've done something to jeopardize the trust that you had to begin with in no. submitting this bid. No, it, it's just, it, it's our process. It's, you know, it's a, it's well, a window, it's 1200. Here's, 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 here's where I'm confused. You, put in this bid because you wanted to work with us. And yet at the same time, you're giving indicating get indications that it's going to be difficult to work with you. And those two things don't line up. How is what I'm hearing wrong? Ah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, right. So you're really diving deep and, and dissecting the, 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 you know, the anchor points, whatever you want to call that, right? Motivation is what you're looking for. Right. We, we get, we get so hung up on the statement, the question or the behavior that we fail to look at what's motivating it. Now, when someone, when you lay it out, like I laid it out, would it be a bad idea if I walked you through it? He goes, no, we're not going to do that. That's not our policy. What are they really telling you? Yeah. They're, they're, they're basically saying, I'm not showing it you under the hood. We don't, we don't have that relationship. We don't trust you. Boom. Uh, stop right there. Say no more. Don't trust you. Yeah. This marriage is not going to work out going forward unless you do something to fix that. Mm -hmm. It may not be fixable, but I certainly don't want to con continue considering doing business with someone who is locked in on the fact that they don't trust us. The, there's no sin for you not to get the deal. The sin is for you to take a long time to not get the deal. Mm. So, Early on in the relationship, you need to figure out, am I the fool or am I the favorite? Because in every game, there's a fool in the favorite. You don't, if you don't know which one you are, call me. I'll tell you which one you are. <laughs> well, and, and so, but let's go to, let's go to, a, um, I want to stay on this path for a sec, but let's just say it's simple. Let's say I'm going to, the window example again, 
it's 1200 bucks and you say, you know, can you walk me through how you got to this? Yeah, no problem. It's, it's, uh, the, the cost is a thousand or labor's 200 and it's uh, 20 bucks an hour for 10 hours. Okay. So Ron, you got to figure out is, is this a hill you want to die on? Is that a reasonable price? Is that something that you're willing to pay? And if so, great. Right. And, and if, if, you know, it's interesting because, because from a simple guideline, we, I had, uh, I, um, someone from our office the other day and, they were presented a price. And, and I think in some cases, people don't know the answer to that question because it's a really great question. Is that a hill? You know, is that reasonable? If it's reasonable, go for it. But I think in a lot of cases in business today, as things are moving so fast or someone starts a new position, I know certainly in our, our business, we're trying to give guidance of what would reasonable, what that price would be, for instance, because a lot of times they don't know. So so I guess my my advice to a staff from the other day was, you know, to ask is that their best price or can you do any better? Like open-ended, would you advise against or, or to do that? If, if you didn't know if that's a reasonable price, I'm negotiating something that I, you, you have more information than me on the window. I don't really know. I'm and making- so, and, and again, go back to what I said earlier, just turn it into a label. It mm-hmm. sounds like you've got no wiggle room here. It sounds like you're under tremendous pressure to make sure that you stick to this price point. That's the, that's the other thing that they're telling you. They're, they're not budging off of that. That means somebody on their side is putting the screws to them saying, you better not mm-hmm. shave this off. And that, and that person that you're dealing with in the moment is scared to death, right? Scared to death that they're not going to convince you scared to death that they have to go back and say, uh, you know, not only did I get, didn't get a reduction, but I, I offered to, to pay more or less, whatever. Right. Right. And, and is there something though, Derek, that, that, you know, in most companies that, that must be part of the cultural piece too, is, is I believe, and maybe I'm wrong. I'm curious on your perspective that people don't feel safe to negotiate. They're more robotic. Okay. Three prices, prices, pick one. I don't know, even know if forget the training, even the first layer of, is it safe to start to negotiate? And, and, and maybe there's a confidence piece there too. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a confidence piece, but the confidence is related to fear. Negotiations are difficult conversations. That's all they are. If I were to ask you to close your eyes right now, think about a negotiation past or pending, you're not going to have a pleasant thought. It's going to be as with a counterpart who's emotional, snarling at you, trying to manipulate you, maybe ethically challenged, making it just very difficult. That is what's most, what is most people's vision of a negotiation. So you take the negotiation off the board, you replace it with difficult conversation. Difficult conversations are replete with negative emotions and negative dynamics. And when, when those are apparent, it makes us uncomfortable because the, the amygdala fires up and now we are in fight or flight mode and, the, and our comfort level has been disrupted. And what we wanna do as human beings when we are uncomfortable is to get comfortable again as quickly as possible. And that is what leads us into being mechanical in the process so that we can solve the problem. As soon as I solve the problem, i.e. get an agreement, the sooner I get out of the room, the sooner I get out of the room, the sooner my comfort level returns. And so mm-hmm. our default is to not negotiate at all. Our default is to go in and start bargaining right away. Problem right. solved right away. Let's get this over with so I can have my equilibrium uh, restored. And that's what you see more of 
than a lack of confidence or a, a marriage to being rote, mechanical, or robotic. And how do we get people through that? What is what is your what's Black Swan's process to say? Here, work with this, and and let's try to you know work with the individual to get them through that. That's a big hurdle. It is a big hurdle. It's a mindset change, and and you, the first part of that mindset change is before going into the conversation, assume you have something to learn. I don't care how long you've been dealing with this counterpart. There's something going on with them that you're only going to find out during this conversation. So, so, so let me just repeat that. Have a curious mindset coming yeah. in. I'm, I'm curious now, right? Yep. Have a curious mindset. And here's what curiosity does for you. Curiosity keeps you from getting triggered, keeps that amygdala from firing up. Your brain doesn't work that way. You can be triggered or you can be curious at the same time, but you can't be both. Hmm. And so the mindset is stay curious, stay curious, understand there's something that I have to learn. Accept the fact that you're going to get a, you're going to get attacked at some point during the conversation. There's going to be a figurative attack that's going to come out of left field. It's not going to make any sense to you. Your job is just to hold on and then figure out where that attack came from. If you get attacked during a tough conversation or a negotiation, it's coming from one of three places. They're trying to manipulate you because that's borne them fruit in the past. You're not listening or they're under tremendous pressure on their side of the table. So we've got so to figure out which one it is. Could, could you be telling you're making up your own story? Is that part of not listening where I, where I just took what you said wrong? Cause that's going to be happening. How do you I mean, mean? So, you know, you say something and I take it out of context. I just, I take it the wrong way. So for instance, um, you know, we're negotiating for a job salary and, and, and I say, um, you know, hey, hey Derek, I'm going to pay you uh, fifty thousand, and and you just say, yeah, you know, hmm, you know, and I and I'm like, well, I'm way off here. Well, I feel attacked. I'm not even close. But you're just thinking it over. I've misread the play. You know, what happens there if there's a misalignment? You know, just that must happen a lot. I I feel it's happened to me in a, in a negotiation where I might not know someone well enough, and I've misread their body language, misread their tone. Is that well? First fair? of all, you we stay away from making judgmental statements about the data that we see, receive from the other side. Stay away from that. And that's why we formulate these into uh, uh, ver recognize, uh, verbal observations of a dynamic or an emotion by just simply saying, it seems like, for example, in that, in, in that interchange, you could have said, it, it seems like I'm, I'm way off base. Right. Right. It seems like you had something else in mind. And you're not saying you do have something else in mind or mm -hmm. I am way off base. You're saying it seems like this is the data you're getting, giving me, friend. And so what you're doing, Ron, is you're going to take what they gave you and you're repackaging it and you're giving yep. it back to them. If you are wrong, guess what happens? You're going to find out. They're going to correct you because right. the desire to correct people can't wait to tell you how stupid you are. And so the desire to correct is irresistible. And Derek, the, 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 the labeling techniques seems like, sounds like, feels like, should you, could, should you rotate them? Does it matter when you use feels like, sounds like, um, or not? No, it doesn't really matter. What matters more to me than anything else is that you stay conversational, right? That you don't sound rehearsed, that you don't sound like you're reading from a sheet, that you don't sound robotic. 
And you think of the labels as, think of the conversation itself as a stew and the labels and the other techniques is just the seasoning. Where does it taste the best? And, and I want to be clear because, because of course I know what you're talking about, but just to be clear for those who are listening and, and we actually talk about this, we use your strategies in our book, Scaling Culture in the building relationship. We don't have a negotiation portion, but in building relationships where for, for leaders that have are challenged to be vulnerable. Cause we say, look, in a natural state, I meet you, Derek, and, and I might have to put my cards on the table first, be a little more vulnerable. So you're comfortable and you come to the table. But for those who can't get there, that we suggest labeling and mirroring, but, but I think labeling is a little easier uh, as that technique. And labeling is taking what someone says and packaging it up with a word like, seems like, sounds like, feels like. Mm-hmm. Anything else I'm missing? Anything else that, that you want to talk about as far as labeling? Labeling, as I mentioned, is just a verbal observation of the data that you're picking up from the other side. That's it. You're not making anything up by the whole cloth. You're telling them, this is what you're giving me, whether it's verbal or not. My interpretation. Yes. Yeah. So, so you know, an example for those listening would be, uh, you know, if if Derek said, you know, I, I, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. I had some family over for a barbecue. Hey, that sounds like it was a lot of fun, right? I'm packing up. I'm delivering yeah. back to you, right? Sounds like you haven't seen them in a while. Right. Sounds right. like you guys spent the entire afternoon catching up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, sounds- it's a great technique. Yeah. And, and so, but from a negotiation standpoint, that technique is to build the relationship, find more information, correct? Because you don't know where you know, you might say, okay, we're stuck on price, but let's move off price. What else is important here to the individual? Yeah, it's, it's, it's about building the relationship and it's about, a, it's a guided discovery process. In every conversation, there are three to five black swans in that conversation, if you're mm-hmm. willing to listen for them. And if you uncover them, they could dramatically change the course of the dialogue and ultimately the result. Price is only a term. Carl Icahn would agree to all kinds of ridiculous prices with his counterpart and then kill them on terms because they weren't focused on it. They got the yes from him on price and he bludgeoned them when it came, when it came to terms. Price is the yes and a yes is nothing without how. Yeah, so, so that's interesting. So back to this window uh, situation, if it's 1200, well, the term, maybe you negotiate the term to say, Okay, great, Derek. Thanks. Twelve hundred is a good price, but we can't pay you for one hundred and fifty days. Okay, no problem. Now I've got one hundred and fifty days because I found out that payment terms are not important to you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or, or could we have the other side where, through maybe I'm I I uh, I say, look, you know, Derek, sounds like you're you know that 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 twelve hundred is very important to you, and you say, well, it is because our margins are so thin that you know. People don't pass for a long time and, and, and it's, it, we can go into business. And, I, and then I've, I've got what I believe you're referring to as a black swan, which is now I can use early payment terms to negotiate price. I can come back Boom. and say, Derek, how about 1100 but I pay you as soon as the job's done. Boom. Got it. Just yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Just like that. See, Derek, I do. My wife's not. I understand this stuff, right? Yeah. And it, it's, it's just a matter of staying curious. And you're going to uncover that nugget. The great thing about black swans, they never fly alone. Mm. There's always more than one. If you find one, you should get excited because there are going to be others. That's and like I said, it can, it can change the course of the conversation. Don't be so sure of what you want 
that you wouldn't take something better when it came along. So, so let's go back high level to a company. What, what are some, you know, some easy tips that, that, that if, 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 um, cause, cause of course you'd think that in most cases, the negotiation from a leader's perspective, no matter what level leader you're in, you're negotiating with people come to work on time, do the job, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's your, I'm negotiating, uh, you know, raises, et cetera. What, you know, without tackling item by item. And I, and of course, labeling is not item by item. That's, that's, that's layering over top of everything. What are some, some easy tips that someone can apply if they're a leader in, in, a, in an overall situation outside of labeling, you know, and mirroring? Um, that are just helpful in an everyday situation. The accusations audit. Tell us is, about it. It's helpful in every situation as a leader, as a boss, you're going to give directives that somebody's not going to like. You're going, you're going to share bad news with people. It can be as strong as layoffs or as minor as I'm going to move the water cooler from one side of the office to the other. Damn, you dude. know for a fact somebody's going to have a problem with that. And so as a leader, it's incumbent upon you to get out in front of it with the accusations audit. This is, the, this is a preemptive labeling of a negative dynamic that you believe is being harbored by the other side that they have not said yet. So, labeling, so, so is that, is that I'm pre bringing what I believe to be the elephant in the room, in the room before you can, am I, did I get that right? Uh, that's you recognizing the elephant in the room before they do. Correct. Okay. So let's walk, give me a situation. So, so, all right. So you lay people off. Uh, I'll give you a real life situation. How about yeah, that? Please, it, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't, it's, it's not really, um, ah, I'll give you an actual, uh, leadership, uh, type of case okay. study. Um, we, my hostage negotiations team, we had been working an event for probably 10 hours. Uh, a father had taken his son hostage. And we had been working this event for 10 hours and now it was time for relief. Well, hostage negotiators are prideful people. They are the A-types of the A-types. And you ask any hostage negotiator anywhere, no one wants to relinquish control of an event to another team that they've been working so hard on. And so I know the kind of pushback that I'm going to get from my team when I gather them together and say, hey, we got to go home and get some rest because we're coming back. I know the heartache. I know the pain. And so before I share the message with them, I tell them, I know you guys are thinking you've been working all night and you deserve to stay to see this through. Some of you may be thinking that if you had five more minutes with this guy on the phone, you could get him out. Some of you may even be worried about the fact that this team that's coming in to relieve us is going to get him out after all the work that you've put in. And you're probably going to take offense at what I'm about to tell you. So, so just pause for a sec. You actually gave three or four scenarios of potential beliefs by your team. Correct. It wasn't even one. You actually pre-thought and probably wrote those down and said, what are they thinking? What would I be thinking? Let's That's exactly right, Ron. Yeah. You need to be thinking, if I were them, what would I be thinking about me? Right. What would I be thinking about the circumstance? Mm -hmm. And you 
intentionally stopped me at the end of that. But my intention was to stop at the end of that. My intention was to stop and let it sit. Let it have effect. What happens is they go to the far end of the fear spectrum, thinking to themselves, what's about to come out of his mouth? He's about to tell us that SWAT's going to go in and, and blow everything up and, and kill the guy, possibly kill the kid. Uh, he's going to tell us that we haven't been doing a good job. Uh, the chief is not happy, whatever the case may be. And so when I ultimately tell them what the news is, that we've got to go home and get some rest, it's far less than what they imagined, and they accept it easier. Right. So their beliefs brought them to a negative emotional state of really bad and, and the bar was super low and it was not nearly there. And so it was a softer blow, softer delivery. And it doesn't mean that they're still not yeah. unhappy, but they're accepting. And you get much more buy-in when you take the time to demonstrate that you know what you're asked, you know what this bad news, how this bad news is going to impact their lives. And the more leadership does that, the more buy-in you start to get, the less resistance you start to get because you, you genuinely show the other side that you get it. And that's what people want more than anything else is for other people to understand what the lay of the land looks like from their perspective. People want to have other people understand what they're going through. Yeah. You know, you're talking about an empathetic approach and we talk about this too, which is, um, you know, in the book we talk about, there's the golden rule, treat those as you want to be treated. But what you're talking about, and, and we believe is there's a platinum rule, is treat those how they would like to be treated. It's it's different, right. actually, right? Yeah, it actually is. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, well look, I, well, I've got you. Yeah, I want to see if you can help me with my biggest negotiation blind spot. And I love to negotiate, and I do it all the time. And I think this is a common problem, maybe for more, you know, maybe it's a bigger issue for people like me that have an Irish heritage and, and a short fuse. How do people and, and me in particular, in a tough negotiation, one that you just walked into, you didn't prep for, right? So there's no, I'm not buying something. I've walked into a tough situation. How do I stop myself from getting emotional? You come at me with tough energy, passive aggressive or plain aggressive. And I tend to meet you right in the middle or maybe even above some and that that's a tough problem i lose every time because of course you do. i'm i'm now emotional and and it usually doesn't go well H how the hell do i fix that problem um and i will wire you ten thousand even even though you got caught off guard in, in other words and and this is not a negotiation that you planned for the first thing that comes to your mind should be curiosity go back mm -hmm. to curiosity why is he yelling at me like that? Why is she attacking me like that? That should be your first thought. Because the other way, the way that Ron used to do it. Thank you. Um, you are actually making your counterpart dumber. Mm. When you attack back, you're making them dumber. They have the same cluster of cells at the base of their brain that you do. And when that amygdala fires up, it blocks what's supposed to be going on the, in the prefrontal cortex and they can't hear a word you're saying. And so, first of all, it's curiosity. Second, simply label your negative say. emotion yourself. I'm angry. 
I'm angry. You say that to yourself as the attack is going on. She's intentionally making me angry. FMRIs have shown time and again, when people are shown. What's FMRI? Sorry, Derek. The, the, uh, um, the, the, the MRI, the magnetic resonating image for the brain, functional okay. magnetic Sorry. imaging for the brain. It has shown time and again that when subjects are shown photographs that evoke a negative emotion, the subjects are asked just simply say what you're feeling. And as soon as they say angry, disgusted, grossed out, um, sad, the electronic uh, signals within the amygdala start to subside mm. when they self-label. So just start self-labeling yourself in the moment as the attack is going on. The third thing I want you to do is hold on because unless you're dealing with a sociopath, that attack is not going to last more than a minute. And then it's interesting. I, I thought you were, and I, I love this, by the way. Uh, I think this is great. And, and you're right. If you have the curious mindset, you're going to win. The self-labeling, I, I don't think, I don't remember reading that in the book. I think that's awesome. I don't know if that was in there. No, it wasn't. Right? That's a great technique. So you're saying, look, I say, I'm angry. Now, Derek's made me angry. And then, sorry, is the third thing now I label you? And so you're coming at me assertive. And I would say, Derek, it, it sounds like you're upset today. You know, or it, well, like you, you got to be careful, though. You got to be careful when I'm coming at you, mm -hmm. both barrels, bla both barrels blazing. You saying it seems like you are upset is probably going to make me even more upset because it should be blatantly obvious. Okay, now I'm stupid, right? And so now you're going to so when you when it's obvious, stay off of the surface level. Surface okay. level is you seem like you're angry. Yeah, I am. It, What's it, wrong it with seems you? like I just said something that triggered you. I'm sorry. Ah. Never underestimate the currency of that apology. And then whether you did something or not, it's irrelevant. They think you did, which is why they lashed out at you. Mm. So you, it, looking at it from a logical sense, you're saying to yourself, I just walked in this room. How can this be happening right now? And our immediate, our go-to is to try to rationalize with the person. And they're not in a rational state. So, so let me play that back to you. So I'm going to label myself. I'm angry. Now I'm going to, um, I am going to really um, take what you've said and, and jump on the sword. It seems like I've upset you and I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm, I'm what am I calling that, that technique? Because I'm taking responsibility for your anger And then I'm apologizing. It's it's just a label followed with tactical empathy. The I'm sorry is just tactical empathy. Right. So you're just going to label what you're seeing. Whoa, it seems like you're having an incredibly stress-filled day. Mm. There's a and deeper label. That's not surface. Yeah. You're saying that's deeper, right? Because surface is going to say, yeah, dummy, did you not see I'm angry, right? Yeah. yeah. You seem angry, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. It It, it's, it sounds like you're under tremendous pressure and you believe that I may be the cause of some of it.
And that is tactical empathy because you've gone extra deep. It seems like you, you're under a lot of pressure here, Derek, right? I'm going deeper. And that, that is that is tactical empathy. What are we calling that? Well, well, it's a label demonstrating tactical empathy. But in every conversation that's heated, every conversation that's difficult, every conversation that's tough, there's going to be a presenting dynamic or emotion. And then there's going to be a latent dynamic or emotion. And the better you get at the latent dynamic or emotion. What is latent? Sorry, can you explain? It's beneath the surface. Okay. It's, 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 if I were to tell you, uh, Ron, I can't believe she did this to me. She slept with my best friend in my house, in my bed. I hate her. This is killing me. What's the presenting dynamic? Is broken heart, upset, tough emotions, you know, really uh, broken trust, anger. Well, you, 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 you went through the whole gamut. Yeah. The, the presenting dynamic was anger, but everything else that you said along with that, those are all, I'm sorry, the presenting dynamic is anger and everything else is latent beneath the surface. I never said I was brokenhearted. Mm. I never said I was betrayed. I uh, gritted my teeth and said, I hate her, which definitely shows anger. anger right. And what did your gut tell you? I went trail. Right. Mm-hmm broken heart, yeah. you're hurt. I never said any of those things. And that's an example of going after the latent. And how do you know where the latent dynamic is or, and what it is? Your, your intuition is going to tell you. This is, this is a mind-blowing stat. Um, the biology of belief. The author's name escapes me, but if you Google it, it'll come up. Biology of belief. Your conscious brain processes 40 bits of information per second. Any idea, any wild guess as to how many bits of information per second are processed by your unconscious brain? No clue. I'm not going to make a bet here. 20 million. It's by your unconscious brain. 20 million. Otherwise known as your intuition. Mm. Your gut is going to tell you the latent emotion or motivation that the other side has given you. All of us have it. Very few of us listen to it, but you did in that little scenario that we went back and forth in, you heard intuitively betrayal, broken heart, hurt. I used none of those words, Mm. but they were there. So that's what I mean by latent dynamic or emotion. That's very interesting. And so, Anything else to add to this situation? So, so I, uh, you know, I, I've got the process already. I'm, I'm going to uh, internally label, go with latent, you know, go deeper in my, my labeling and then serve up an apology. And then is it just normal course of action from there? You got to stay in the moment. You got to find out where that's coming from because it's not going to go away. It's coming back on you. Right. So if you want to go through the whole thing again, mm-hmm. during the course of the conversation, brace yourself. Most people want to pivot away from that and go, whoa, I'm not sure where that came from, but I'm going to move off and go somewhere else because I don't like that. And ignoring it, pretending it's not there or trying to explain it away is not going to help. It's going to come back. So you got to stay in the moment. You know, so after your apology, you're simply going to ask, what did I do to cause that? I and you may find out because that's it a may, curious question. I'm being curious. Yeah. And you, you may find out it's not you. 
You may find out that, you know, there were, you know, the, the husband bounce. just wrecked the car for the third time in four months. Mm-hmm. And now you've got to take an Uber to get home. And the boss has said that the reports are wrong and she's got to stay late anyway. And now she's got to come in and talk to you or you, you're coming in to talk to her and, and whatever the case, whatever yeah. the case may be. Um, once you do that, once you demonstrate that you're trying to see through their eyes, you watch the emotional component of the conversation start to dissipate. When emotions are high, rational thinking is low, your challenge is I need to return them to the NFL. You know what the NFL is, right? Oh, I forget this acronym. The um... It's not the National Football League. No, I know. I know. What is it? I forget, Derek. What Normal functioning level. Yes, that's right. That's when you're trying to come back, not pivot off, but come back, right? That's where you're trying to get them so that you can, so that they can start to see your side. Which is also a calmer state, right? It is, of course, a calmer state. Mm -hmm. Mm, Interesting. And then you're back to business, you know? Yeah. But you're, and you're also versed now. You're prepared for Mm -hmm. when it happens again. You've just made yourself smarter. You've just made yourself better. That is, that is awesome. I, I certainly um, am going to shift my, because, you know, it's funny, my background is private security. And of course, I'd be doing personal uh, protection and concerts and festivals. And I played a lot of chicken, big guys. And I'd say, yeah, I think you have me confused. And I would play chicken. They would say, yeah, I think I'm confused. I'll go back the other way. That hasn't worked in a lot of situations. Cause I'm like, okay, like we're both going here, you know? So this is very, uh, very helpful. Um, anything else, Derek, that we haven't talked about that you think that leaders can, um, s- s- some quick nuggets, takeaways, uh, leaders uh, can adapt to build a culture of, of negotiation within their, their companies or their teams? Anything else we haven't talked about that you think would be helpful? Uh, probably the importance of subordinating, subordinating yourself to your direct reports. Everybody at the C-suite level has to be able to subordinate themselves to people beneath them. Everybody at the mid-management level has to be able to support, subordinate themselves to the people beneath them. Your frontline people have to be able to subordinate to, the, to their direct reports. And subordinate, can you explain? Address them with the mindset that it's not about you, that you understand the impact of whatever the engagement is, is going to have on them. You put your goal and objective on the back seat and you really demonstrate for them that either you get it or you're attempting to get what it looks like from their perspective. I can't, I can't repeat that enough. Um, Being inclusive, you mentioned being vulnerable and being genuine. They don't, they're not expecting you to be perfect. They don't expect you to have all the answers, but they do expect you to have their interest at heart. And the more you do that, the more you demonstrate that, the better off you're going to be. And you're going to create a culture within your organization where people will run through a wall for you just because it's you that's asking and you've demonstrated um, that that you were more concerned about them than you were about your aspirations uh, or your profitability. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. And it seems like a lot of these strategies have a lot or a sprinkle of empathy in them. They're, they're, empathy is the the commonality there, right? Empathy is the commonality. Your deliberate attempt to demonstrate an understanding of, of the other side's perspective. You, you know, it's interesting. I'm curious uh, on your thoughts on this. So, so, and we talk about this in the book too. Um, when, when we have a chapter of um, working as a team and 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 how to communicate properly, and and it's so simple for leaders to say, "Hey, Derek, can you do this? Do you mind taking care of this?" And I might be, "Can you please?" But we've shifted that to say, "Derek, can you? Could you please help me with this?" Very different. I'm asking the exact same thing, but I'm asking for help which isn't empathetic, but it's more vulnerable. I'm saying that I need help versus can you do? What are your thoughts on that? It seems to be helpful. Um, is that, is that, do you see that working where people are asking for help versus you know, projecting a task on someone? Asking for help is better than giving a, a directive, but to make it even, make it even better. Gold, please. Regardless gold. of what the, the ask is, you know, can you, can you help me move this stuff from my office yep. down to the trash chute? If you approach me, what I'm going to want to hear from you is, hey, Derek, I know I've caught you in the middle of something. I'm automatically trying to say to you that, or you're trying to say to me that, you know, I'm busy. If you were to say to me, hey, I know you, I've caught you in the middle of something. What I'm about to ask you is going to make you roll your eyes. You're going to think that this guy thinks I don't have anything better to do. And now, as the recipient of that, Ron, I'm thinking, holy crap, what does this guy get? What is he about to tell me? And then you're asked, are you against helping me take my stuff from my office down to the trash chute? I like it. You're back to that. You're the, you set the expectation. And I remember this in the book. And I think that's where I missed on that negotiation with the airline person is it was set so low and the person expected you to, to ask them to go pick up your dog crap, you know, from, you know, and walk exactly. your dog for the next week. Exactly. And then it was what, just move the trash. And yeah. when we were traveling, this has nothing to do with leadership, or, but you can get the same idea. But when we were traveling, I would get to destination cities two to three hours before check-in was allowed. And they would either tell me, A, they didn't have any rooms or B, we we're gonna, we have a room, but we're gonna charge you a hundred bucks if you wanna check in early. I'm not doing that. So my other option was walk around the city for two hours until it's time for check-in. So I started to work on the people behind the counter and I would walk in and I've got almost a permanent scowl on my face after 29 years in law enforcement. So I'm walking in, and I see them make eye contact with me as I walk across the lobby. And I say to them, because I know these people, they get dumped on all the time in these hotel lobbies. And I say to them, Ron, I'm about to make your day that much more difficult. And I can see the color start to drain out of their face. They're, yeah, and they drop, their heart drops. You're like, oh shit, what does this, this guy want? Their, their shoulders slump forward. And they're wondering to themselves, did he, what is he going to tell me? 
is he, he's going to tell me that he just committed a goat sacrifice in the parking lot. He just ran his car into the side of the building. He's got 20 pounds of cocaine in his luggage. What is he going to tell me? Yeah. And the second move that I make with them is you're going to think I'm another one of those needy passengers or travelers who's expecting you to bend over backwards for them. So that's the elephant now. Now you've, you've, you've gone, I'm, I'm messing with your emotions. I brought them really low. Now I'm, here's an elephant because this is my belief of what you're going to think. Yeah, I'm sure she may not, they may not be thinking that exactly, but something similar to that is bouncing yeah, the pre-elephant though. That's right. Yeah, yeah okay. The pre-elephant. And then the follow-on is how bad of a position would I put you in if I asked to check in early? They're so relieved that that's all it was that they can't wait to get me in early. Not only do they want to get me in early, more often than not, I get upgraded. (laughs) I get upgraded. He said, we don't don't have a a, a king on the first floor like we promised you, but presidential suite is available to you on the 30th floor. All right, I'll take it. I love it. I love it. Derek, thank you so much. Uh, for for today. This was incredible. Not just helpful to our listeners, but helpful to me. And so thank you, my friend. That was certainly well. Excellent. I appreciate the work you guys do. uh, And, and, uh, and thanks so much for the content today. And your counsel, I think it was incredible. And uh, this will be a well listened to episode. So thanks again, Derek. I had a ball. Thank you, Ron. Take care. For more information about Derek, or anything else related to scale and culture, please visit the show description for details. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.